Today's episode is sponsored by American Art Collector Magazine, the definitive publication for contemporary representational art. In each issue are previews of upcoming gallery shows, as well as spotlights on art fairs, juried exhibitions, and important destinations around the country. Published monthly, the magazine keeps you connected to the freshest work available from today's leading artists. Subscribe today and save $10 using promo code SAVE10 at AmericanArtCollector.com. Thank you and enjoy today's show. listeners welcome to another episode of the american art collective podcast i'm your host maggie civic and with me today is the amazing kelly Folsom. kelly how are you doing today i'm doing so good i'm so excited to be here thank you maggie and you're in colorado i'm in denver colorado yes is it really hot it is freaking hot here <laughs> i'll try not to say any curse words on this but it's hot I know I, I it's, it's a little hot here in Ohio. It's actually been really nice the last couple of days. I'm the listeners know this because I talk about it all the time. I'm originally from Los Angeles. So having to get used to humidity has been. Oh, yeah. Not great. Oh, yeah. It's it dries a bone in Colorado, of course. And every time I go back home to Oklahoma, where I'm from originally, it's like you're walking around in a sauna. So <laughs> I get it. And I want to go, you, you, you talk about being from Oklahoma. I, I really want to start this off. I always like to start it off by going to the beginning, how this all started. Where are you from? What's your background? Uh, tell me a little bit about, about how you grew up. Hmm. So I grew up a um, little poor girl in Amarillo, Texas. Yes, poor as dirt growing up for sure. And then my folks moved to um, uh, Oklahoma whenever I was 16. So, and then I lived off and on in Oklahoma until I was uh, 28. So I got married really young and then we started traveling for his job throughout the whole country, which kind of started my whole gypsy life, uh, just moving around, you know, different places in the U.S. And then at 28, I decided to finally, you know, go to art school and try to do this crazy thing called becoming an artist. So yeah. And that's whenever I moved to Connecticut and went to art school in Connecticut at Lyme Academy College of Fine Arts. Um, Yeah. And then after that, I ended up moving back to Oklahoma for a short time because I was really homesick and really missed my family. And so my boyfriend and I moved back there. Oh, there was a divorce in there somewhere. Um, But so, (laughs) so we moved back to Oklahoma for about five years. And then, you know, now we live in Denver and our next dream place to lay is, of course, is Paris. So of course, that's what I'm working on right now. (laughs) Trying to get, make my way to Paris, baby. And you'll, you'll get there for sure. I would love to, I've never been there, but I would love to go. Have you been there yeah. at least? Or yeah, it out? yeah, I've, yeah. But we've been there three times, uh, but at least before COVID hit, um, in the last you know probably six years. And then the first time I went there was in 2011, um, right after I graduated um, from art school, and I ended up getting this really strange combination of scholarships that actually I used the money to. It was like a Bulgaria residency, an artist residency in Bulgaria. Whoa. Then I got a scholarship from the National Cowboy Western Heritage Museum in Oklahoma City. So I kind of combined 
the two. <laughs> and so that I could end up after Bulgaria. Cause I was like, who the hell wants to go to Bulgaria? Not me, but I'm going anyway. And so I was there for 30, 30 days. Um, I thought you were about to say 30 years. <laughs> no, no, no. Just it was, it felt like 30 years. It was a long time y'all. Um, and it was, it was really a crazy and interesting place. I learned a lot from being there for 30 days. And then, um, anyway, so that, that's how I ended up in Paris the first time. Um, and just the juxtaposition of those two places going from, from a little village town in Bulgaria, you know, close to Greece, it's like in the Rodope mountains and going straight from there to Paris, France was like, whoa, you could not get any more night and day difference between those two places. And I immediately, of course, fell in love with, with Paris. And uh, yeah, it's been a, a great love affair ever since. Yeah. And I want to talk about you being 28 and deciding you were going to go for it and become the artist that you are today. And you said you had moved around a lot. Did you ever think that there was a time where you weren't going to be an artist or, or kind of what was your journey leading up to that? Did you have odd jobs? Were you thinking you were going to go on down another career path? Well, I mean, really, for me, uh, it didn't seem like there was a lot of opportunities for me as a young woman growing up in that that region. Uh, this is back in 1997. And growing up very middle class family, lower middle class family. Um, and yeah, really, I didn't even know that you could be an artist. I didn't have art classes at art school. Now I drew, you know, from the time I was 10 years old, it was obviously very inherent mm -hmm. in me. And it was just something that I really loved to do. Um, it was also kind of a form of escape for me, you know, kind of, um, having something of my own that I didn't have to share with my siblings because I'm the oldest of four kids, you know, and, um, and also a form of escape in a way because I was the oldest of four kids and had to be so responsible all the time for everybody. And, um, you know, in our family was actually a pretty dysfunctional family um, as well. So, so it was always inherent in me. Um, and then, you know, going to high school and all of that, there was just really not much that I would, else that I was interested in. And I didn't even realize I could go to college. I mean, that was the other thing. Like, um, I was super smart in school, you know, the, the top A student, all that stuff. I was a good, obedient girl, all that good <laughs> stuff, you know. Um, and then... Uh, yeah. So, so really the only opportunities I saw for me was to get married, have like a working class job, have babies, which I did not want to do, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a journey for me to finally come to this place as an adult and say, you know, there's gotta be more than this and I'm not happy and I'm unfulfilled and um, I got to do something else, you know, because I was actually really kind of in a depressed place in my mid 20s, if you can yeah. imagine. But when you feel like, you know, oh, your whole life has already been planned for you. This is the model that you see all around you as a young woman. And like, this is what everybody's doing. And you just don't know any different. You don't know what's possible, you know. Absolutely. So I, yeah. So I actually was about to buy somebody else's business um, in Oklahoma 
And I did go luckily and have a conversation with my mom. And my mom asked me the one magic question, which really turned everything around for me. And she said, you know, because we were running through the numbers of buying this business. And and I really did not want to do this, but I didn't know what else to do with myself. And I wanted to be of some kind of value, some kind of service, have some sort of fulfillment instead of just working like, you know, working a job. Like I had waited tables. I worked at department stores, you know, just, you know, crappy, you know, <laughs> minimum wage, the jobs that you could get without an education, you know. And I thought, I'm better than this. Like, I know I can do more than this. And I know I'm more capable than this. And so luckily, she asked me a magic question, which was, if you could do anything in the world, you know, Kelly, nothing holding you back, nothing stopping you, what is that thing? Mm -hmm. And I just immediately, because I hadn't drawn or made art since I was 16 years old, I just gave up on it, you know, and I just immediately started bawling, crying, and said, I would be an artist. And I didn't even know what an artist was. You know, it's like, <laughs> how do you do that? You know, so, so that was my answer just through the tears. And she said, well, go do that, you know? And I said, but I don't know how. She said, well, figure it out. You can figure it out, you know, go do it. And that was the start. I was 26 whenever she and I Hopefully I don't get choked up talking no, about it's, it. No, okay. I, I completely understand. It's yeah. it's emotional because that it really goes back to who you are today. You have to make that decision. Yeah. And not everybody yeah. can do that or not, not everybody knows that they can do that. So it's a really important story that you're sharing. Mm. Yeah. And I work with women. I work with so many women uh, now who are getting to their art in uh, a much later stage than even that, you know, but even at the time I thought it's too late. Like, oh, I know how you feel. Yeah. I was like, it's too late. Like I, you know, I'm too late. Like you're supposed to go at 18 or you're supposed to make all these decisions earlier. Um, and it's just a lie. It's just not true. And so I have such empathy for the women artists that I work with now because, you know, they're in their fifties or their sixties. Some of them even went to art school, you know, um, whenever they were younger, but they didn't learn anything, you know, cause it was all like, you know, they didn't learn how to make the art that they really wanted to make, which was representational art. So, um, and it's just amazing. It's amazing to see these women now who are like in their fifties, sixties, even seventies, you know, we had a support call the other day um, in my, I run the online art life school program and um, we had a support call the other day. This woman's like 75 telling me, you know, how she just completed this huge commission that was like 30 inches by 80 inches, you know, and I'm she's sure like negotiating, is. she's negotiating with the collector and, and, you know, it's just amazing. I'm like, it's not over, you know, like, you, you get as many chances as you want to have in this life if you just choose, you know, if you just like even just stop and stop for a bit and ask that question, like, what is it that I really want? What is it that I really want to do? You know, and, and it's beautiful because we live in 2022 and uh, you know, we get so many opportunities, especially those of us who live in America you know, it's just, there, there's so much that we can do if only we actually, you know, first acknowledge it and then start working towards it. That's why I think it's so important because it, a lot of times, because I, I just recently had a similar situation where I 
saw an opportunity and I was kind of scared of it. And I was kind of hiding from it. And because it's scary when you think about, oh, I can do any when you know you can do anything. That's the scariest thing because you just don't. What do I do with this new information that I have about myself? And so it's really inspiring to hear from especially other women who said, no, like you can do whatever you want. You can come up with a plan. I think that's amazing. And I'm, I'm love that support group. And I think I think you're doing amazing things. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. I love what I do. <laughs> and I want to go back to, so you you decided you wanted at 26 that you were going to pursue art and you made that decision. You go to the Lyme Academy in Connecticut, which I was doing some research on it. It's the first Impressionist colony founded, I think, in 18, 1899. What drew you to that academy? Um, I mean, at the time, I, I thought that what I wanted to do was representational figurative art, mm-hmm. portrait and figure, because when I was a kid, all I ever drew was portraits. Like I would copy, I would copy, you know, people's portraits from photos and things like that. Um, some of the first art books I ever had, because my grandma did art as a hobby, she she gave me a couple of Walter Foster books when I was like 10 years old. And one was a portrait book and the other was a figure drawing book. And so I would copy all those, you know, things out of there. And that was like basically the extent of my art education. So I picked that school because it was at the time, 2007, yeah, 2007, it was at the time one of the very few degree granting programs that had uh, figurative uh, representational art available. And so I chose based on that, you know, uh, we always just make these choices based on, okay, I think this is the direction right. I want to go. Cause we never know, we never know what direction, you know, we want to go in. Um, so it had nothing to do with the impressionists. I didn't even barely even know who the impressionists were at the time. You know, I knew so little about art history back then. Um, I just knew that I wanted to make art and I thought that I wanted to do uh, figured art or portrait art. So that's why I picked that school. And my other constraint at the time was like, I have to get a degree because I never want to be, I was thinking a degree equals security, Um, you know, which, which now, you know, we all know that that's BS as well. But at the time I was like, at least if I have a degree, maybe I can get a better job. If I suck at being an artist, you know, maybe I can get a better job than, you know, waiting tables or working at the gas station, which was my previous life. (laughs) So like, I got to get a degree because I'm not going back to that, you know. Um, So that's, that's how I picked it. It's not a romantic answer. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't have to be a romantic answer. I mean, it's a very honest answer. Yes, that is one thing you will get from me is honest. (laughs) And so when I was researching you and, and looking at your art, which is beautiful, by the way, um, I get a very, for me, I get a very um, Jane Austen-y vibe, which I really love. Oh, cool. oh Yes. There's one in particular, I can't remember the name of the painting. There's one in particular with like, it, it's a, a vase of flowers and there's a couple books to the side and then there's a, a framed picture of a silhouette that kind of looks like a Jane Austen silhouette and I was going through the paintings I was like wow this is so Jane Austen very to me that those types of paintings are very romantic and I know that you prefer to draw your subjects from life 
Can you mm-hmm. can you expound on that or explain, you know, the significance of actually having the subject in front of you? Yeah, I mean, it's mostly just significant to me. Um, you know, I don't have any, I actually kind of wish that I enjoyed working from photos because I'm like, that would be a hell of a lot easier, (laughs) you know? Um, but you know, so I don't have any, like there's some artists that are very dogmatic about it and like, Oh, only work from life. That's the best way. I think that's BS as well. Um, now of course it's taken me 15 years to get to that place of like, none of this freaking matters. Just do what works for you, you know, make it work for you as the artist. So, but I will say for me, working from life, it is a very enjoyable experience. Um, It's hard to explain. Uh, I think I'm just a very experiential person. You know, I love having experiences. I love having new experiences. I love feeling this a certain sense of connection, you know, to the experience. And I think working for, from life just really um, provides that for me. It always has. Um, so in the beginning, when I first started out as an artist, you know, back in 2005, taking classes, a lot of the early stuff I did was from photos or solely from imagination. Um, and the first time I started working from life, it was really uncomfortable because, at first it was really uncomfortable because I was like, this is really hard. (laughs) This is harder than working from a photo, at least in my opinion, it was. And I felt like all of a sudden I was drawing and painting like a five-year-old. And it, yeah, that piece was uncomfortable, but I did enjoy that live process, you know, and my eye, you know, just as human beings, like we perceive things like our perception can change second to second, you know, and our eye can pick up on things that a camera can't, you know, so I, to this day, I love working from life. Who knows if that'll change in the future. I'm not ever going to box myself in, in that way. Like I'm just open. I'm open to it all. You know, it's like, I'm open to wherever this goes because so much has evolved over the years and I've evolved and I've grown and changed and evolved as the person. So has my art, my art is different now, you know, than it was in 2005 and in 2011, you know, so who knows, who knows where it'll end up, but yeah, I do enjoy right now working from life. And you talked about being uncomfortable the first time that you were working from life. What is it about working from a photograph that might make it a little bit easier? And, And of course, you know, it might not be easier for everybody. Like you said, perception, someone working from life you know it's already uh it's already on a two-dimensional surface Mm. okay so it's already on a 2d surface um I was taught early on like just grid out the photo then you grid out your uh transfer that to the canvas um and so in that regard it's easier you and if you take a good photo then all you have to do then is copy that photo and maybe you end up with a good finished piece of art or a good composition. When you're working from life, um, you're using your binocular vision, of course, more <laughs> it's in life. You're translating this three-dimensional world onto a two-dimensional surface. You also are um, selecting and composing um, and, and with still life painting, which is the bulk of what I'm doing, still doing, um, still life painting is challenging in and of itself in that way, because uh, then you as the artist have to learn how to 
compose these objects. You control everything. So um, versus landscape painting or plein air painting, it's like the, the visual imagery is there for you. And it's a matter of kind of hunting down where is a where's a good scene and then maybe editing and selecting some things out or rearranging some pieces once you get it to the canvas. Um, in still life, you know, most of the time we're setting everything up how we want it to be arranged on the canvas. So I would say it's a, that's a primary difference um, uh, for me. Yeah. And how do you choose your subjects? What, what inspiration do you get when you are deciding what you want to paint and how you're, you're composing it and setting everything up? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just pick things that interest me, you know, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> uh, things that I find beautiful, you know, um, I'm very feminine. I'm very in touch with the feminine. I love the feminine aspect in this world. And, um, you know, all of us are some degree of masculine and feminine. My masculine comes out a lot more in my business, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But when it comes to painting, you know, yeah, I mean, I just love something beautiful. Um, one of the first, uh, some of the first still lifes I ever did was in at Live Academy and they were basically just exercises, you know, so they were really ugly still lifes. And um, I, you know, I didn't enjoy looking at the objects all day, you know, so it's like, here's a block, here's a, I don't know, something I found, they found at a garage sale or a tag sale, wherever you live in the country, call it different, but, um, you know, just random things that they would put together and they were really just drawing and painting challenges. Well, I really liked painting still life, but I wanted to do still life that I could enjoy sitting and looking at for an hour or two hours or all day, you know, so and I know that you, um, oh, go for it. Yeah. It, I was just going to say it could be flowers. I mean, I've been kind of into flowers the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, it could be a beautiful sunset, beautiful sunrise. Um, I think everybody, every artist kind of has their own thing. Like what, what turns you on, what you're, what you're drawn to, what interests you. Um, I've never had an interest in the ugly, you know, I know right. there's, there's a whole, you know, group of artists out there that are fascinated by the dark and the ugly and the grimy and the, and I definitely experienced that in art school. And I actually got, a, I actually got made fun of a lot in art school for painting flowers or painting pretty things, you know, making pretty pictures, you know. Um, and I was like, well, I don't know. I can't do anything about it. Like, it's what I you want to do. Yeah, I was like, I cannot sit here and look at, you know, somebody's guts spilling out on the table and paint that for eight hours. Like, first of all, I can't even look at it for eight seconds without, you know, my stomach turning. So, but, you know, again, nothing, nothing right or wrong, good or bad about it. It's just that doesn't interest me, you know? Yeah, and everyone has everything, that, their own thing that they like, their, their, niche that they cling to and it makes them happy and I'm sure a a painting of someone whose guts are being spilled out would make somebody happy or they get something out of it just as much as looking at your paintings and they bring joy and beauty and I think that's important too and and a sense of because your paintings are very lifelike I know that you I don't know if you only do this exclusively but I know you work a lot with oils and um 
kind of take me through like why why is oil so important to your work and how do you make these paintings really look like their photographs a lot of the time? Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because every artist has to find the medium that really, you know, flips your switch, baby. And for two years, I was working before I went to Lyme Academy, I was working only in acrylics. So all the painting classes I was taking were offered in acrylics. So I bought acrylics, you know, and then I was trying to paint in acrylics for two years. I was like, man, I suck at this painting thing. This stuff is hard. You know, um, the paint would dry too fast. I had a really hard time mixing the color, you know, and then I would get frustrated um, because I have a bit of a shorter attention span. Um, so, so I would get frustrated and I would get sick of working on the same piece for, and just fixing mistakes. I got sick. I was like, I cannot stand just fixing and correcting mistakes all day long with this acrylic stuff. So I actually thought whenever I went to Lyme Academy that I might actually be a sculptor or, and actually my major didn't end up being a drawing major, as a matter of fact, um, not a painting major, wow. mostly because I couldn't stand, I, mostly because I couldn't stand the um, painting instructors that they had there um and you know they wanted me to paint guts and gore and ugly stuff and and I was like so so by doing a drawing major I was able to kind of create my create a learning path that was more suitable to me there um <clears throat> so anyways um wait what were we talking about oh oils so the first <laughs> can you see like my brain <laughs> that ADD no, it's, it's all good stuff um, it's all good stuff so the first, so I just kept banging my head up against the wall with this acrylic thing and thinking that, oh, I'm just not a good painter. I'm just not going to be good at this. Then it, cause I'm just, you know, it's like, you don't know what you don't know. And I'm just so stubborn. I'm, I'm like such, I'm just such a stubborn person. So I kept making it personal and making it about me that maybe I just wasn't meant to be a painter because I couldn't master acrylics. Then we went to, then I went to Lime Academy and the very first day we used oils and it was like the clouds parted and the <laughs> angels started singing, you know, just like, oh, this is it. Um, you just had to give it a little time. I fell in love immediate. It was an immediate connection with that medium, um, with the, with the oil paint. And I, yeah, it's so hard to explain. And I really think that probably 99% of artists have that sensation. Like when you find the medium that is your medium, you know, it just feels right. It just feels good. It's, I had an intuitive understanding about it right off the bat. It just felt so much easier. I still did not understand how you could correct things if you messed up or made a mistake. You know, as a beginner, you're going to make a lot of errors, a lot of mistakes. And so the teacher came around and we had painted my masterpiece of white. It was a white ball <laughs> in black and white. And it was gorgeous. I'm so proud of this thing. My very first painting at the school from life, you know, and uh, I, but I had gotten out of the lines a little bit, which I was concerned about back then. Now I don't care. But <laughs> I said, I, well, I messed up right here and I don't know what to do about it. 
she was like, oh, it's just oil paint. So you just, you know, mix up a little bit of that color that's behind it, the background color, and just whoop, just go right over it. And I was like, what? Oh my gosh. You mean I don't have to do, I can do these oils. I don't have to be perfect, you know? And so it was, it was just an amazing eye-opening experience that very first day with oils. And I've never touched acrylic since. Um, now I, I probably could now with, with everything I've learned about painting and the skill set I've built now, I probably could use acrylics and do it just fine. And in fact, I have thought about doing some because I do have a lot of artists, you know, in my online school that do acrylics. So mostly just, I'm thinking about playing with it again, just to be in service to them. But, um, I don't have any desire to use them. <laughs> Do you feel that yeah. once you started doing oils and, and you loved it so much, is that when you really found your voice as an artist? Uh, I mean, I love that you asked that question because I think that finding your artistic voice is so important. Um, and in fact, I actually teach a guided uh, program on it for artists because it is so important. Um, but at the same time, it's like it is Um, there is, there's never really one particular moment where it's like, I found my voice, Mm. I found my voice, you know, it is definitely an evolving process. I do think finding your medium is, is a key component in that because it does whatever you're using to create your art with does impact, um, the look of the art so much and also your experience as the artist. Um, so I do think finding your medium is, is a, is a huge piece of the puzzle, you know, to developing, finding your artistic voice and then developing it further. Um, if you haven't found that medium yet that you really love and respond to. And for me, finding that medium was so important because you're always going to struggle as an artist, you know, um, you're always going to struggle in your growth, in your learning, Um, there's always going to be hard days, frustrating days. And so for me, even just having the things that I loved so much, even with the struggle, right. Um, was some, was an anchor. So if I could just lean into, if I was having a bad painting, but I could just lean into how the paint felt underneath my brush, you know, that would bring me back to the present moment and just get me refocused on, Hey, I just love doing this. I just love the way this paint feels, you know, and get me, um, get my focus off of how good or bad I was as an artist or the, the finished outcome, you know, the finished product. So as soon as I think as artists, sometimes as soon as we get our focus too much on that finished product, um, and how good or not good it's going to be, or how how popular or not popular, how acceptable or not acceptable it's going to be, you know, our, our, the focus is on the wrong thing. Right. So, um, <clears throat> so I do think it's a really good anchor if you can find something that you really love about the creative process. Because a lot of times too, it's just like you said, we're focusing on the wrong things. Uh, you know, scared of what we're putting out. Is this wrong? is this correct? Are people yeah. going to understand it? Are people going to like it? And that you just got to check your brain out the door and just go for yeah. it and do what makes you happy. Yeah. Because you, we all 
do have an inner voice. We've got an inner like truth compass, you know, um, it's just a matter of listening to that and just following that even whenever you don't know how, or you don't know where it's going to lead, or you don't know, like, am I going to fit in or not? You know, am I going to be taken seriously as an artist or not? You know, even without knowing any of that, like, I think listening to your truth compass, which is your voice, um, and just following that. So one of the big pieces for me was realizing I don't like drawing and painting the figure. <laughs> and yet I chose this art school, you know, based on that, fine. It doesn't mean that I have to be a, a figurative artist to be taken seriously as an artist. And it doesn't mean I have to leave the school, you know? I mean, there was a lot of ups and downs with all that. I was like, you know, and then, and then people say dumb things, mm-hmm. artists say dumb things, you know? So it's like people say, oh, well, still, you know, still life painting is so easy and it's not as great as figure. I mean, I heard so many dumb things from other art students at the school, art teachers, and it's, you know, it's fine. People are silly. They come up with all kinds of silly little judgments and rules and all that stuff, you know, um, but you, you have to stay true to yourself and, you know, follow that, that inner truth compass, follow that bliss, you know, what do you enjoy doing the most regardless, regardless of all that stuff and just follow, follow through with that, you know? Absolutely. I I totally agree with that. And it goes to it really goes the same for any type of medium art writing, you know, whatever you want to do. Cause there's always going to be people who are going to put you down or try to say, Oh, you're doing it the wrong way or, Oh, no one's really in- into that right now. And you just kind of have to put it in the back burner be like, all right, that's your, that's your opinion, yeah. but this is what I'm going to do and deal with totally. it. You know? Yeah. Well, and, and so much of the time it's just, um, us. It's, Mm. it's the person holding themselves back, you know, and thinking somehow everybody else has it figured out. Somehow everybody else has it together. They're the real artists. I'm not, you know, and so yeah, the imposter syndrome thing, totally, you know, and, and other people may reflect that back to you, you know, but it's always an inside game is what I found over the last 15 years is it well longer than that. I don't know, almost 20 years now, 20 years, 2007. Anyways, whatever. Almost Um, 20 years. I think. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't know. I actually really don't. I think almost 20 years. Yes. (laughs) I didn't know I was going to be required to do math on this podcast. I would never do that. Um, Never require anyone to do math on my podcast. (laughs) Yeah. So it, it is an internal game and, um, of course, there are cliques and groups and ideologies and dogmatic, you know, points of view that are out there. And you don't have to uh, listen to any of them. You don't have to adhere to any of them. Any of them. I think that's the beauty of being in 2022 is like, especially for artists, like we can, um, you know, have our own audience. We can create our own audience now. Um, we're not even dependent on the school system or the gallery system. You don't have to be, have a degree, um, you know, to be a full-time professional artist. Um, it's just, it's wide open, you know, like there's no floor and there's also no ceilings. So, you know, 
it's it's wide open. Well, Kelly, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to chat with me. It was really eye-opening, really inspirational, honestly, and I love your story. And is there anything that you want our listeners to be aware of? Do you have anything coming up? I know you have a podcast. Anything you want to share? Oh, yeah. Girl, I got all the things. I got all the things. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, you can you can find my work. My paintings are at kellyfolsom.com. You can find all of my educational resources at artlifewithkelly.com, K-E-L-L-I. And that's where um, the, the Art Life School is hosted through that um, website. All of my teaching offerings, my book is available through there. Um, the podcast link will be on the homepage there. Um, and then I also have, I'm not sure when this is going to be aired, but um, I will be running an event here in Denver for artists who want to build their art businesses um, because I have learned so much about that over the last four years. And so that's going to, that's called Art Stars Business Breakthrough Retreat. It's going to be right here in Denver um, in September. So that's September 6th, 7th, 8th coming up. But all of that stuff would be on the Art Life with Kelly website. Only, only my art is on kellyfolsom.com. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you for listening to this episode. If you like what you just heard and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe to the American Art Collective podcast and follow us on social media at the American Art Collective for behind the scenes photos, deals and more. Thank you so much. I'm your host, Maggie Civic. Until next time. Goodbye.